Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Booze, Booms and Busts. My name is Boaz Shoshan and I'm joined, as always, by Sam Volkering, where we shall discuss market events while at the same time quaffing a few beers. Episode 35, I mean, we are pretty far through pretty far through this, uh, this season, as it were, with Triple B. Uh, 35, uh, anything special about that number? I think, uh, I think three and five are the only numbers that don't feature in my mobile phone number. That's, a, that's always a good game to play. If you're, uh, if you're, if you're bored or you, you need a, a conversation starter, just, uh, just see if you can find out what, what digits don't appear in your phone number. Sam, is there anything about 35 that, uh, that, that brings you know, memories or events to mind? Uh, it, it was the number of, of a favorite football, Aussie Rules footballer of mine when I was a kid, uh, a guy called right. John Longmire. Um, I'm pretty sure that was his number, 35. His nickname was Horse. And it, his nickname was Horse for exactly the reason that you think it was, apparently. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, what, that's what I heard. Um, so, you know. I, and, you know, he looked like a can't, horse. Can't that verify that myself. He was a horse face. Uh, that's not the exact reason that you think it is. <laughs> but we'll leave that one there. Uh, but no, it's, uh, it's good to be back for episode three. I think, I think this may become the longest season. This may be a season longer than an American sitcom. Uh, that's, how, that's how long we, we might be going with this season. We could go mm. well into our 50th episode of, of the first season, maybe even deeper. In fact, we may never have a season two. Yeah, I, I do think if we were to do another a second season, uh, maybe we would like, maybe we could change some of the format. Like we would probably redo our beer rating system, as it clearly has been too too complicated for some for some, for some folks. Uh, but yeah, yeah, maybe maybe we could like uh, maybe we could do is a it, second season. It, is it too complicated for folks, or are folks just a bit too simple? I mean, really, let's 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 call a spade a spade this year. I mean, well, yeah. All, I mean, all credit to our guests that we've had on, but I mean, come on, guys, really. I mean, you really can't. I mean, I, I will not feel ashamed for uh, for having high standards. Uh, <laughs> let's put it that way. Yeah. Mm. I concur. I concur with that. But you're right. We. It's funny. We have. We've talked about doing some things like segments, and um, if we're a little bit more advanced in our preparation for this podcast, and we will probably start to implement those sorts of things in the coming weeks, where we we maybe look at some of the more. Uh, interesting, funny things, perhaps of a market that catches our attention. But we'll, we'll get onto that in in due course. So we're evolving and uh, growing uh, in, in this early stages. Now, I, I, I actually we'll, we'll 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 talk about the beers we're drinking first, and then I want I want to I want to bring up bring up something. So uh, what what are you into for your first? Are you, you're still in the doppel box, am I led to believe, with your um, monasterian style Lent uh, approach to Lent this year? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, this is, I believe, the ninth day of my beer fast, so I have not been consuming any food. Uh, however, I'm not only on Doppelbox. While I was originally uh, going to stick with Doppelbox only for the entirety of this beer fast, uh, I have broadened it to simply any beer uh, because sticking just with Doppelbox, uh, it was like, you know, I was having two in a row and I was starting to get sort of like acid reflux and stuff. And my, uh, my throat felt really funny. So I thought, I thought maybe it'd be time to mix it up. So when I had a Guinness, it went down really well. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to mix it up. I'll stick with the Doppelbock. 
but I will have more than just Doppelbock for for this beer fast. Uh, but other than that, all, all things uh, things have been going pretty well with it. I so, think the um, curiously, have you have you managed to find other high uh, calorific content? Beers. I mean, obviously, Guinness is one of those for sure. Uh, have you managed to broaden your horizons uh, beyond that? Uh, I think that's what I'm. I think that's what I'm kind of going to do. Uh, I think I would like to drink some barley wine. Is my favourite mm. uh, style of beer, barley wines and braggots. Uh, so mm. I think I'm going to order a load of those in uh, because I love drinking those, and I'm damn sure. There, there must be a huge amount of calories in those. Uh, recently, I've not really had the chance to go for something um, crazy when it comes to calories. I mean, Guinness, I think Doppelbock probably has a lot more calories than Guinness, to be honest with you. Uh, Guinness feels positively light after having having <laughs> drank one of these things. Um, but yeah, I, anyway, I'm drinking Doppelbock this evening. Um, and we shall be sharing, uh, we shall be having the same beer, the same second beer uh, hmm. together later on. But Sam, what is your first beer? Uh, so the first one I've got here is called the, it's just called Juicy IPA. Uh, so it's a New England India Pale Ale, and it is from the Three Ravens Brewery. Uh, now, I was saying to this to you off air, um, the, the site, the beer site, B52, that I, I've got this recent batch from, I've got a couple of batches from now. Uh, I usually just, when I'm picking the beers, I usually just scroll through what they've got looking for something with a decent alcohol content uh, that is just one that I've not had before. And through sheer luck, they probably just had a massive batch of Australian beers come in or whatever. But I've got another Australian beer. And, and for regular listeners, I know for the last couple of weeks, I've managed to get a couple of Aussie beers in the mix through no specific intention, but other than sheer luck. And, and Three Ravens Brewery, this one that does the juicy uh, IPA, is from Melbourne uh, as well in Thornbury, uh, which is sort of a uh, suburb of, of sort of outer Melbourne. Um, and uh, yeah, so far, so good. It, it specifically says on the can, interestingly, drink from the can, treat like milk. Um, so I, I don't know if I'll be pouring it on my cereal, but I'll certainly be drinking it from the can uh, and seeing how we go. Yeah, beer with cereal yet to be tried maybe we'll do it one of these podcasts you know just to, to you know maybe like a breakfast to, special yeah to, <laughs> yeah quite right you know i remember a while back uh m&s does those white chocolate cookies uh yeah. they're i think they're white yeah they're pale white chocolate white chocolate cookies and i remember having them with a really dark porter and they went really really well together but it felt like a really strange thing to mix so maybe you know maybe things like breakfast cereal maybe nesquik might actually go well with uh, with some beers but we should probably stop talking about food because uh you know i uh, i don't like thinking about food quite yeah. quite so much at the moment it's a bit harsh harsh to be talking about the different types of uh culinary cuisine that, that, that we, we could be having while you're fasting on nothing but beer um now, uh, now i did want to bring up something because we were talking about obviously episode 35 and our first season and you know in all fairness we probably should continue this season until central banks decide to stop quantitative uh, easing policies so this might be a long season um but i've i've personally and i noticed you're on there i've i have discovered this week the phenom that is a clubhouse and oh yes I, I spent a fair chunk of today in Clubhouse and I feel like coming out of that emotionally and mentally drained. 
Um, <laughs> it's everyone's harping on about how amazing it is and I can see potential benefits to it, but it is like, sometimes it's like a really bad zoom call where everyone just has to say their piece and goes off on like these monologues to try and show that they know something about something. Uh, it is utterly exhausting at this point and I'm not sure I'm completely converted on the idea of it. Yes, I, uh, I've experimented slightly with Clubhouse as well, though not nearly, not nearly so much. Uh, you know, I, I'm using an Android phone now and it's, uh, it's Apple only. So I, I rebooted one of my old uh, Apple phones to get it, you know, an old iPhone to get it. And its battery sucks. So if I want mm. to, you know, I need to charge up the phone in order to use Clubhouse because the battery is so short. So I've only had sort of, um, what would it be, uh, transitory experiences with Clubhouse. Uh, however, it um, it can be frustrating when somebody says something on it that you know is incorrect, and there's no way of you correcting them because you're not a speaker, and everybody just sort of chimes in and agrees. It feels Absolutely. like, uh, yeah, it feels like uh, where groupthink could be really exaggerated. Yeah. It's even worse than on Twitter because you're actually hearing people sort of reinforce the same kind of things. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, you know, some some cool stuff can happen on it. Um, and it's an opportunity if you get in the, you know, if you're in the right room and there's somebody interesting there, you know, this does give you an opportunity to directly ask them a question, uh, which you wouldn't otherwise have. Uh, you know, yeah. it'd be, it's harder to dismiss somebody who's speaking to you than who sends you a tweet. So, you know, it, you, there is the opportunity, the potential of something cool. But other than that, it's just a load of chat rooms ultimately, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's just a bunch of echo chambers and, uh, and, and you're right. It's, it's difficult to a get heard in the right way when you know that you need to be heard, but then you just with the format of it, uh, you, you can get, you can get shut out quite easily. And, and it, it's, it is, it's a, it's a just a positive reinforcement cycle for confirmation bias for people. Whereas, you, you know, if you go into a room and you disagree with a view, uh, you can get very, very quickly booted, from uh from that room or muted so it's um whereas like i mean and the other thing is is that it's it's hard to find rooms to go into that are worthwhile but what so what fascinates me about this though right is just the explosion uh that it seems to have had over the last few weeks really in that once it got a few of the you know popular VC style tech bros that are on Twitter and other social networks in there, uh, it exploded. And I think part of why that has been the case is also because of the whole air of exclusivity around it in that you need an invite well, a, for, for a start. It's only on, on Apple devices. And like you, I actually run an Android. And so I now have a, a reconditioned uh, iPhone, uh, <clears throat> which I, which I use just to, to try this out, to be fair. Um, and, and you're right, it sucks the battery out of this too. Oh my God, it's ridiculous. Um, but anyway, so it's weird. So the, the clubhouse has just exploded. And I think it's this idea around exclusivity and, uh, and the idea of, it's like a private members club where anybody can be a private member. And there's some sort of weird kind of celeb 
want to be celeb appeal to that. And then, then when you go from being a listener, you put up your hand like a small child in a, in a classroom and then you're selected out of everybody else to come onto the stage. And I find it interesting how they describe it when you're a speaker as being on stage and then, then you can advance to being a moderator if you're an expert enough in the, in the topic that the chat room sort of designed around. Um, it's kind of a bit like MSN on steroids um, with, with, with the element of, of Instagram about it. Um, and I suppose it's no great surprise to see that, you know, you can only link your Twitter and Instagram accounts to it as well. But I don't know. I, I, it's like, it's already the, the valuation of, of the, the, the platform is, is exploded in value already. And we're already seeing, you know, there are others out there. Like I can't remember what I think what it's called audio or some, some, some stupidly bland name, which is another one, which is just, chat rooms where you can go in and, and speak and listen to people live. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like my initial thoughts around this is this is just another flash in the pan platform that will come, gets hugely popular and then something else will come along that will be hugely popular and everyone will move to that. And it's, it's kind of like my space wanting up on each other all the time, but we're, but there's still these like hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions, multi-billion dollar companies or platforms being created off the back of it. And I just wonder how sustainable this all is because it's like it feeds into the narrative that we've been talking about, about just this insane kind of uh, tech bubble where, where you know, these, these companies that don't make money, they, they're probably not ever going to make money, but they're whoring and, and harvesting data from people are all of a sudden worth billions and billions of dollars. And it's just a bit, it just reaffirms how bonkers everything is right now, I think. Mm. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with a lot of that. I think uh, if Clubhouse is successful, uh, I, yeah, it definitely does remain to be seen to a huge degree whether or not Clubhouse is successful as a platform. Um, you know, plenty uh, of those listening, you may not be have used Clubhouse. It you know, remains, it has, as Sam says, a this invite only model uh, so far, I mean, it's probably deliberate to give it that veil of exclusivity. As Sam says, you know, it really isn't, uh, it really isn't, uh, <laughs> it really isn't a, a private members club, but it, well, as Sam says, it is a, it is a private members club where anyone can be a private member, uh, you know, provided you get an invite. You know, mm -hmm. uh, a listener of this podcast, in fact, was one who invited me uh, onto the platform uh, very kindly. He said, uh, he gave a good uh, sort of, uh, comparison of it saying that this is like Instagram except for people's voices in a way so uh, he was very kind enough to think that uh, as uh, as you know we like shooting the breeze on this podcast that I would be uh, you know pretty good on Clubhouse as you know I like shooting the breeze and talking about you know tech and uh, stocks and you know monetary policy and, and whatnot which was uh, which was very generous of him however when I'm on there uh, it does, uh, you know, as you say, it does seem like it's hard to find places where, uh, you know, conversations that are valuable and that will improve your life uh, are going on. A lot of it is, it's almost like multi-level marketing stuff yeah. where people talk about yeah. entrepreneurship and it's a way of shilling your product uh, and saying, you know, you can be a millionaire too. You just need to live my lifestyle now. Listen to my lifestyle. Look how great it is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. At the same time, I have heard some some quite interesting conversations take place on Clubhouse. Um, but it does, I think lockdown must have a lot to do with it, Sam. You know, I think, mm. you know, the fact that we're inside, you know, listening to, listening to people's 
voices and being part of a group conversation. You know, this is something that we don't really do very much outside of our work where you're having a Zoom call. And the fact that you can't see these people, you can walk around the street and be a part of this conversation. You can just have your earphones in, you can have your mic hanging out, and then when it's your turn to speak, you can speak. You know, it feels like you're, you're part of a group. You're at, you're, you know, you could be at a pub or something. And that is something that people are not, well, not you know, in the UK, for example, but certain parts of the States as well. Uh, you know, this is something that people are not, uh, you know, people are missing big time. I remember, uh, you know, PewDiePie, you know, one of the, you know, the earlier, earliest, well, at least one of the probably the most successful YouTuber ultimately uh, said that his success in being a YouTuber was the fact that everybody, all these kids out there, uh, and some adults too, uh, when you're in front of your computer, you're alone. You know, mm. when you're browsing the internet, you're alone. You're, you're probably in your room uh, and you're by yourself. And so his appeal that he, uh, that he sort of explained to himself is the fact that he was speaking to you in your room. You were, you were not lonely anymore. You're not alone because he's there and he gives you, uh, watching his videos give the impression that you are actually in company. Like you are, you're with this guy. He's your mate. Right, and I think with Clubhouse, there's something similar where it feels like in certain you know group calls and whatever, it certainly it feels like you're at a table of people, uh, and you're you know you're 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 in company and you're discussing a topic. And I think that might have something to do with it. It's a very rapid appeal because, as you say, you know social media platforms, uh, you know they're they're a dime a dozen to some degree. There have been yeah. so many of them launched ever you know, following the success of Facebook and Twitter, etc. And Clubhouse, well, maybe it'll be successful, maybe it won't. There was an interesting, uh, some guy did post on Twitter actually how he'd had a very, very similar uh, entrepreneurial debut uh, in that he'd created a platform almost identical to Clubhouse and that would have been in 2018 and <laughs> it was a complete failure. So he launched it, you know, spent money doing it, this, that and the other. It was effectively a load of chat rooms, anyone could join, you had the same kind of rules and yet it completely dumped. Huh. And that was, that was only a few years ago and it just didn't work at the time. But today, you know, there is this interest in it and you, want, you wonder why that is. Why, why is it worked now and it didn't work then? Yeah. I would probably say lockdown's got a lot to do I, with it. I, I think you're exactly right, actually. Now, now, when you think about it like that, it's usually these sorts of things, their success is predicated on launching not because they're the best iteration of, of themselves yeah. and or the first for that matter, but they're just launched at the right time. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. If we were all, uh, you know, recording this, it's a Friday afternoon slash evening. If we were able to be at the pub, having a chat at a table of peers, then uh, we wouldn't be fucking around on, on clubhouse. Um, <laughs> no one would be because you can have intellectual stimulation uh, and intellectually stimulating discussions with others, uh, you know, that way in real life. And it's, and it's much easier to do that as well because you've got, you know, physical and visual cues that allow people to have a say, to know when to shut the fuck up, uh, which you don't get on Clubhouse where, you know, some people just don't know when to shut the fuck up. Um, and uh, so it, it, is, it is a bit like, it's almost like, you know, sometimes it reminds me of those panel sessions you get at conferences, except everyone in the audience can just pick up their chair, sit on the stage and then yell um, basically their opinions at people. So it's, I think it's, it, fits a, it fits the time that we live in right now. 
but I think that it'll very quickly start to die off uh, when people can physically find their way uh, back with other people to to have the kinds of discussions that they want to that they want to have, I suppose. So, uh, and what we might find actually, I think maybe at the back of this, is um, clubhouse style meetups, which like meetups were were really big thing before COVID and, and lockdown. You know, there were so many organized meetups on, you know, during at different times during the day and the evenings on the weekends and things like that. And they were starting to really get quite popular. Um, I mean, shit, even just in the early days of, of Bitcoin and that, that's how people started to get to know it and spread information about it with, with, with meetups. And I think that what we'll find is that somebody that can develop a platform that is, I mean, I'm sure there's already a few out there, but probably just aren't getting the traction that they need to at the moment. Um, to allow for physical, for clubhouse style meetups in the real world out the back of lockdowns and COVID and, and the pandemic, I think those will be successful platforms where people can have these kinds of discussions uh, in in real life. I suppose is that maybe you can connect with others and know that you're not alone in that sense through the app, but then actually go to a physical location for it and get out, which is something that a lot of people have missed. I think during the last year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think people miss that an awful lot. I know, uh, I know I do. That's for sure. Well, I just uh, want to do a live broadcast from a big garden. I'm not, I mean, that's really my only uh, driving uh, narrative behind that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I like to say that my political views now are simply publican at this point, not Republican, just publican. Uh, I, I, you could probably distill all my, uh, well, most of what I'm sort of interested in when it comes to domestic, you know, policy as to reopening the pubs. I think it starts there. We can discuss everything else afterwards. Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. I think that's the best place to start. We should all be publicans or we should at least all have a little bit more um, uh, uh, gratuity towards uh, what publicans do and the, the purpose they serve in, in society. You know, it's funny. I, I, when I first jumped on the clubhouse the other day, I just jumped into this room talking about the pre-market um, I think it was Wednesday, maybe just to sort of get a feel for what was going on. And just, there were all these people and they were just, all they were doing was talking about Uber and the bull case for Uber and then buying Uber options. And, you know, I was just thinking to myself, what, what has the world turned into when <laughs> that is literally just all these random people that you could just know, they know they had no idea what they were talking about. One guy was just getting on there and was just like, Oh, you know, so, you know, if Uber goes up, I'm not buying Uber stock. I'm buying Uber options. Cause if I'm buying Uber options and the stock goes up like two X, I'm going up four X. I mean, it's that simple. Uh, I, you know, why buy the stock when the option can go up four X instead of two X? I mean, everyone should be doing this sort of shit. And I'm just like, I, I had to, I quietly left. I believe the button describes it as. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah. It's well, just crazy, why why right? take paracetamol when you could take heroin? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know because you know why not but i guess it's all about access right i mean fuck you know so yeah you know and look it's 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 such it's so weird the, the market this week is a reflection of that too right i mean we've seen a, a like one of the headlines this afternoon was um stocks tech stocks crash and i'm like really and i checked online i was like none of the tech, tech stocks are crashing today and it's like just these these weird narratives are coming out of nowhere and yeah okay we've seen some hate come out of the market um, and you know, a lot of those, I think we discussed the other day that, 
it was like early January that a lot of them or mid January, a lot of these stocks peaked and it's kind of like, well, this is what you kind of call a correction into the market. Um, but then you've get these other pockets like GameStop was getting like shorted, short squeezed up again um, and being pushed up. It was like a hundred percent on was it Wednesday or something? I think while the, yep. while the rest of the market was allegedly crashing. Um, it's such, it's just the kind of volatility and the kind of pockets of, uh, movements that we're seeing in, in crypto and in, in, in the market and tech stocks, all that stuff. It's just, it's insane. It's, it's, in, it's, it's intense, really. It's, it's quite exhausting by the end of the week. I'm so ready for a beer at the end of the week. Yeah, I think, well, you know, I think we should discuss it to some degree though. I, uh, it is, it is very interesting. It's been interesting to watch the Bitcoin activity this week. I've found, um, so we saw that sort of sell off last week where you know things got really crazy with bitcoin where you're looking at fifty eight thousand dollars yeah and you know there was the whole laser eyes to 100k thing where oh my god don't even start me on that shit right so (laughs) everybody on twitter was uh photoshopping in lasers on their eyes copying michael saylor etc i I don't even know who started it but everyone on twitter was doing it Uh, and bitcoin price was making it to 58k right yeah and uh when i think there were two senators I, that, yeah. I, I believe there were there were two senators who did yeah. this as well, like yeah. U.S. senators, who were who were doing this. And at the time, I thought like this, this this is really really frothy. That really seems like you know the Bitcoin price can't carry on going up at this point. Where that seems a while you know I I you know I say to myself all the time there is inflation in market top indicators. Right, market yeah. top indicators have been devalued by the internet because people doing strange things is now being broadcast everywhere. Everyone can see people doing strange things all of the time. So, you know, people behaving oddly is no longer so significant as it used to be. But at the same time, you know, two senators with red eyes to support Bitcoin, like they're changing their profile pictures to support Bitcoin. That seems like a bit, a bit frothy. And then, you know, it went 58K, at the time of us recording this, we're looking at 47, 48. You know, it's had a, you know, it's taken a correction down. Um, I took some money off because I, I uh, you know, my portfolio is ultimately becoming far too concentrated on Bitcoin because it's doing so well. So I feel pretty good that I, I took some so, some cash off the table to buy gold, um, uh, you know, at that period. But it's interesting that sell because it occurs at the weekend when markets are shut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Monday was not a great time for tech stocks. You know, they didn't crash. I mean, that's just journos saying, you know, <laughs> using the only Look words me, they can to me. get a click now. I mean, <laughs> you have to say, you know, people wouldn't, if they went down by, if you said, you know, tech stocks uh, draw back by 2%, you know, yeah, nobody would click that headline, right? So it has, it has to be a crash. It has to be a calamity that's just occurred. Um, but it was interesting to see that it, Bitcoin appeared to lead that sell-off. Now, if we sort of remove ourselves from what from the Bitcoin price itself, and we look at what Bitcoin's function becomes, we've discussed a few times on this podcast in the past. I, you know, I I, I think we have slightly different views when it comes to uh, you know what drives the Bitcoin price. I while I you know treasure Bitcoin's fundamentals, you know, I own it, um, and I'm not gonna you know there uh, there is some Bitcoin that I simply probably will never sell, or may or I won't for. A long time. I don't know. It's, it's something that I don't feel um, like is a trading position. It's a long-term investment. But I, you know, I treasure Bitcoin. I, uh, you know, I understand the Satoshi's vision, or you know, as much as I can. 
I get the scarcity argument. I get the way in which uh, it was modeled on gold to some degree. Uh, but it, ultimately, the manner in which it trades, to my eyes, is not like digital gold. I think it really does just function as uh, an afterburner of tech stocks right now. So, you know, in recent years, Bitcoin trades, uh, you know, it, it booms when a tech bull market has been reaffirmed. So if we see tech hitting all, new all-time highs, it's only a matter of time when Bitcoin starts getting a bid. It's like the, you know, it's the afterburner, it's the offshoot, it's where people go to for leverage when tech has been, everybody knows that everybody knows that tech is doing well. That's when people go to Bitcoin. That's when it's really, really, really uh, you know, searched. But at the same time, if that is how Bitcoin you know, trades, that's how it behaves, I, um, you know, in theory, that should work in reverse as well, whereby you should be able to tell that tech stocks are going to be in for a hard time if Bitcoin sells off in a big way. Now, on Saturday, that effectively happened. Well, no, well, it was Saturday, Sunday, but, you know, on, you know, on, the, on those days that, that occurred uh, where Bitcoin sold off in a big way and then, you know, the Nasdaq didn't have a great day and you saw, you know, you know the, the, the aggressive nature, you know, the momentum start to wane in the, in the tech market. You saw tech stocks start to sell off a bit. And I wonder, it could just be a coincidence, of course, you know, this uh, correlation could still be, it's not concrete. It's not absolutely definite. Mm. But uh, to my eyes, it, it makes Bitcoin quite valuable in a way as, a, as an indicator if we keep seeing this occur, where Bitcoin is not only the speculative asset that does really well when tech's doing well, which has been you know, an awful lot of the time in mm. the last 10 years, but at the same time, it's the canary in the tech mine, which sells off before all of the other things sell off. Uh, what do you make of that, Sam? Yeah, so I've been I've been running through this myself as well, trying to figure out if Bitcoin is a leading indicator of the sort of tech stocks. I've got I've got a slight issue with with using the term tech stocks, which we'll expand on in a minute. But I've trying to been trying to figure out if it's a leading or a lagging indicator, yeah. uh, and I tend to think that. I don't know. I, I don't think that the, the data is complete on on which side of the equation it sits on because it's, right. it's done both, right? Right. That's the thing because in this scenario, it is both a leading and a lagging indicator yeah. because it lags tech booms, right? So it explodes once tech stocks have been having a great time, right? It doesn't precede that. You know, it doesn't get ahead of a tech bull market it only accelerates once it's been uh, you know once it's been made concrete to market participants uh, so it's a lagging indicator when it comes to the upside but a leading indicator when it comes to the downside which when you think about it, it you know it's quite a it's kind of a nuanced thing and it makes the case for it kind of fragile because that's it makes it very specific it makes it quite sensitive uh, sort of uh, environment sensitive um and yeah, I do wonder about that. I personally, I'm starting to think that the behavior of Bitcoin uh, will change. I yeah. think the, um, I think it will shrug off this status as an ultra high beta tech stock yeah. you know, that moves a hundred when tech moves one, right? Uh, once, I think it will shrug that off once there's a correction that's really bad and inflation arrives. I think 
the inflation angle to it will will it will become thought of as some kind of high beta inflation trade but that will be once this tech correlation is broken and it will be broken harshly i think there will be a you know there'll be a sell off in tech there'll be a sell off in bitcoin that'll be really bad sell off in tech driven by inflation because tech does not like inflation and once that's happened that's when the scarcity angle to it will will come in but that is purely my imagination i'm it's just I feel that the the inflation hedge idea, the the scarcity element of Bitcoin, is not being you know it's not it's not it's almost not being used. It's not being um, what's the best what, what's the best way of describing it? You know this is it's the value of Bitcoin in its scarcity, um, and, and when you're thinking of it in the in the light of monetary policy and things like that, it's not being traded that way. It's not being valued. For its uh, its value, for its scarcity, when it comes to uh, protecting your money against inflation, yeah, it's definitely it, the scarcity angle is definitely being valued when it comes to the illiquidity of it because you can't get very much of it, but it's not illiquid because <laughs> it's not illiquid because central banks are printing money. It's illiquid because it's hard to get a hold of. I think that the illiquidity side of it is more a function of the way it's been it's been structured and the manner in which uh, people are moving you know Bitcoin around from cold wallets to exchanges and things. I don't think the uh, scarcity angle of it is being valued as such by people who are buying it when it comes to that inflation head uh, for hedge. I don't think the I don't think it's trading on the fact that it's been designed to protect your cash against monetary inflation. I don't think that's why, yeah, I don't think that's why its price has gone up. I think that will happen, but I don't think it's yet. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's an argument I've um, been trying to, to, I suppose, help people to understand is that the, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an evolving, it's almost like it's a, a living organism in itself. And, and it's funny that with open source, software or open source um innovation you you find that it does it, it, it's almost like it's living and breathing because when it was first started it the the idea was really kind of around it being electronic cash and a, and a peer-to-peer electronic cash system but it's not that now it was it might have been that 12 years ago but it's not that now because we know it's inefficient as, as a payment rail, we know that it doesn't really work with the velocity that is needed in a fully functioning global cash or, or cash like money like economy because it's too slow. But the, 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 the growth of it and the innovation that I mean, it's it, Bitcoin is still uh, if you go and have a look at the GitHub repositories, it's you know still one of the pretty much the most actively contributed and worked on. Um, cryptocurrency protocol that there is and so there's there's still a lot going on on there's like a um there's a current upgrade i think coming to it i think it's called taproot i mean again i don't know the exact technicals behind it but so there's a lot of a lot of work going on on making it better um and 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 building on top of it and bringing things like smart contracts to bitcoin or side chains that can allow that 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 rely back on the proof of work uh, consensus that exists on on Bitcoin, the, the decentralization of that consensus to secure it and make it 
um, robust and, and reliable. So it's, it, it's, it is absolutely going to change and, and it will, will change from, from being, um, you know, money to being property, to being a stock like asset, to being a store of value, to being perhaps all of the above, um, depending on how somebody wants to use it. And I think that's sort of the, the interesting thing about not necessarily just Bitcoin, but open sourcing development and innovation um, in all aspects of industry is that when you start to have multiple contributors to something and then you can get a wider community to agree on consensus of what is the best uh, way forward with that, you tend to get quite, uh, quite explosive, quite uh, extraordinary developments. Um, and that's really what Bitcoin is becoming at the moment is it's an extraordinary monetary exper experiment, um, which, which really outside of central bank control uh, and, and, you know, the financial system with their so-called innovations in financial products, you know, th there's been no general uh, opportunity or, or development like this that I can remember really in history. I mean, arguably the internet is, is the kind of closest parallel you can have to something that's open source, um, and that anyone can develop and, and contribute to. So, you know, maybe it's akin to that. And maybe that's the kind of adoption curve that we need to be looking at really um, with, with all this. And, and if that's the case, then realistically, we're still, I mean, there's still some such early stages with it all as to what it's going to end up being in another five years or 10 years time. It's really too hard to say just because of the speed and, and the, the growth in which people are contributing to and, and, and pushing it forward. Yeah, I mean, actually, Sam, to be honest with you, I'd probably push back a bit on uh, what you say when it comes to, you know, Bitcoin status as electronic cash, you know, it's, a, it's original, you know, it's original uh, promise. I think, I think it still actually ultimately satisfies a lot of that uh, originally, you know, the original idea that you can just use it as a form of cash. So a while back, um, yeah, I mean, it's a long time ago. So well, not that long, I guess. You know, at the beginning of 2017, so I've owned Bitcoin for a very long time, but my dad actually was quite interested in Bitcoin before the big 2017 uh, boom. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, he'd expressed, uh, you know, he'd, I'd spoken to him about it. He'd asked me lots of questions about it, things like that. Anyway, in, um, you know, in early 2017, uh, I thought I'd give him some Bitcoin uh, for his birthday, right? Just because mm -hmm. it was a nice thing. Uh, you know, he was interested in it. He didn't own any, you know, it would have been, you know, he's a, he's an old fella. He's not gonna, he's not gonna know how to get on an exchange and do all yeah. that, this and that and the other. So, uh, I gave, gave him a paper wallet of Bitcoin for his birthday and it wasn't a, wasn't a massive amount, uh, but it was the, you know, it was the beginning of 2017. So, uh, it was quite a lot in terms of, you know, what it was, what it is now, what it's worth now. Uh, and he's since said, uh, yeah, I'm very proud to say that uh, this is one of the best gifts he's ever been given, right? Because it has appreciated <laughs> not a lot since then, right? Um, but, you know, uh, just a couple of days ago, right, there was the big hack of the Bitcoin paper wallet uh, website, the bitcoinpaperwallet.com website. Yeah. Uh, and it was the bitcoinpaperwallet.com website I had used to make this, uh, to, make this uh, to make this paper wallet, right? So, right. Uh, yeah. Oh well, Karen's son. No, no. I was just. I was. I was, I was fascinated because I'd heard about the 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 hackers. I think it was something like 128 bitcoins had been compromised or something through it because of a, a backdoor that had been built into it from like early on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So um, 
this this to to those listening, if you're not you're not familiar with it, uh, Bitcoin Paper Wallet is was just a website which allowed you to create a uh, you know uh, a Bitcoin address, so a public and a private key, which any amount of Bitcoin could be sent to. But it, you would create it through the website, and the website would uh, very you know very easily, very nicely for you uh, print out that we would create a, a document that you could then print out and fold up that would be a paper wallet. So it would have a QR code and the physical public address and then a little pouch which would have the private address. Now, when I first set this up, you know, I saw this is quite insecure, ultimately. Uh, you're, not only are you accessing a website that you really don't know who runs it, mm -hmm. um, but you're creating this, you're then uh, you know, on a computer, you could have malware on your computer, you are then sending this to a printer. There is printer malware out there that does look through everything that you're printing out. Yep. Uh, and you know there are all these different points of vulnerability that could be used. But I wasn't giving my dad much money for his birthday. It wasn't a lot of money. It was just a, you know it was just a wee bit. Um, and you know ultimately you know if, if there's a you know some malware attacker who's got that much time to try and get into that, they're probably going to go after the higher value targets. They're not going to be some guy who's giving you know, what, probably about 50 quid or something at the time, um, worth of Bitcoin uh, to his old man. Now, anyway, fast forward to today, you know, this, the, that much Bitcoin is worth a fair bit more now. And, uh, you know, I see this story about uh, Bitcoin paper wallet being hacked. So effectively, what has happened, or as was reported at least, uh, it looks like, and it was probably following the change in ownership of yeah. the website, uh, though this is, you know, this is contested. Mm -hmm. The current owner of the website would tell you something quite different. Alleged. Sure. Just keep using the word alleged. Uh, the, allegedly, allegedly, what was happening was that uh, when you were, uh, you know, using your uh, keys or your mouse to create a, a really, really random uh, private and public key, uh, it was actually while you would do the exercise of creating a random public and private key, what you were getting at the end was something that was very, very predictable to somebody who knew it. And according to Coindesk, who, who published the, uh, you know, a very good article, I would say, they spoke to a lot of victims of this. Uh, what was happening was, uh, well, effectively, that the, somebody was going in and, and you know, sweeping the Bitcoin, nicking the Bitcoin from the paper wallets, uh, provided that they had more than one Bitcoin in them, uh, or that seems to be who was targeted so far. Uh, and it seems to have happened after 2018. So it probably yeah. did, does not, you know, it probably doesn't affect, you know, the 2017 time when, uh, when I did this for my dad. But anyway, you know, th this has since occurred where the Bitcoin pay paper wallet website has been, has been cracked. Uh, and there, you know, there's malicious, there's malicious operations over there. You know, the, in that Coindesk article, uh, there's some really, you know, just brutal stories of, uh, you know, people had like $700,000 worth of BTC and it's just been nicked because they had it on one of these paper wallets that they made on BitcoinPaperWallet.com. Uh, and, you know, really, really bad stuff. The thing with the problem with bearer assets is, you know, the greatest strength is also their weakness. If yeah. you control a private key, uh, you control it. If you're the owner of a, if you hold a bearer asset, you are the owner of a bearer asset. Right. Yeah. You know, if you if you carry gold in your hand, it's effectively your gold because you can do whatever you want with it. And same with bearer bonds, you know, like in uh, Die Hard or whatever. It's you know, Bitcoin is a bearer asset. So if you yeah. have that private key, it is yours. And if someone else knows that private key, well, it's not really, it's not really yours anymore. 
anyway, so uh, when I saw this, I was like, all right, uh, I'm, you know, I immediately, I immediately checked the, uh, the public address for uh, my dad's Bitcoin, you know, on the block explorer and everything. Oh, well, it's still there. But I, you know, I was like, no, we got, we got to get this out of there. Gotta get this. Gotta move this. <laughs> yeah. We've got to move this just in case, you know, no time to waste. Anyway, so, so we did, right? And, and you know, we moved it around and you know, uh, we, we now got it in a, in a, in a safer, safer place, hardware wallet, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yep. Um, but you know, actually moving the money around, uh, when it comes to Bitcoin, actually moving Bitcoin, mm. it's not that bad at no, all. No, it's, 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 right. it's, it's cheap and it's quite easy. Right. It's the, the time element is a thing. You got yes. to wait for you. You'd want to do three blocks if you, you need to wait three blocks yeah. ultimately, but you that's my biggest wait. problem with it. When I, when yeah. I talk about it not being suitable for money, that's really the only thing that it's not suitable for is that speed element. Right. Right. But, uh, and it's six blocks if you want to be really, really sure, et cetera, et cetera. However, yeah. you know, the ease with which you can do it, the graphical interface has, has helped a bit. However, you know, I have come to the opinion that, Bitcoin is, you know, re Bitcoin really is the settlement layer for, you know, this little monetary network idea. So mm -hmm. while it was this, this transaction where we were moving things and getting final settlement for the transaction in the course of about 40 minutes total yep. to actually move this stuff around. Um, I do, I have come to the opinion, Nick Carter has been a, a big proponent of it. Yep. But I do come to the opinion that effectively when you're sending a Bitcoin transaction, it's effectively like you're in charge at Swift or yes. you're in charge at Fedwire yeah. and you are uh, organizing large bank settlement transfer, which does take a long time. And this is, you're getting final settlement at the end of it. You know, this is where you are very high up in the monetary system, uh, you know, in the financial system ultimately, and you are doing these very important transfers that will be permanent. They're not credit transactions. They are, you know, they're not debts. This is actual transfer of title and ownership. Yeah. And us using, you know, when you're doing that with Bitcoin, it's like you're, you know, it's as though you're, um, you know, you're, you're firing a rocket launcher at a rat or something. It's complete overkill. You're using, a, a, you know, a supercomputer to solve a very simple sum. You know, th this, uh, this, this engine that is the Bitcoin network when it comes to mining, all whenever we're transacting Bitcoin, it's not really meant for these kind of transactions. That's what all of the second layer stuff with Lightning, yep. and you know there are other ones as well. You, you mentioned Taproot and things. You know the, the second order effects, or but the, the I think it's good to think of it as layers. The second layer of transactions. That's what. You know, the second layer of transaction, that's where these kind of payments are really meant to be taking place. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, it still is just so early in the fact that everybody is still using the actual fundamental Bitcoin engine to do these really incredible, you know, these incredibly, uh, you know, negligible transactions. Yeah, insignificant, back, really. <laughs> right. I mean, people back in like 2017 stuff, people were saying, you know, you, you'd be able to make a micro transaction using the bitcoin blockchain yeah which was possible because the bitcoin price was low enough yeah. for that to occur but now you know taking a micro doing a micro transaction is possible but it's like why would you do that this is not what it's meant for the micro transactions are possible using 
the actual network effects that grow out of this. Yeah. But it's not what actually using the Bitcoin, you know, the actual engine itself is for. And um, yeah, we're still a fair bit off with that. I do like what yep. Strike is doing with it. Um, yep. And, you know, I've used the Lightning Network, you know, recreationally. I remember... It's difficult, probably, though. But it it's is. Not, it's no, not a great thing. user it's experience. So yeah, it's it's so, like, the, the Lightning Network and what that's doing... That You're absolutely right. You know, you I, I get the feeling that what we'll end up seeing is is exactly the same. It's, it's like in the existing financial system, you know, you've got basically got correspondent banking. And a lot of people sort of get a little bit caught up in, in the role that SWIFT plays in the facilitation of that. And thinking that Swift actually transfers money from place to place, but Swift actually is just a messaging system that tells yeah. one bank um, in, to to debit an account and credit a correspondent banking account on sort of if you if you picture a giant brick wall between two banks, there's a bank on one side, a bank on the other. They can't see each other. They don't know what's really happening. Swift is the bank is the the connecting fibers that gets through that wall and says, "Can you take some money from your account A, put it into account B?" And on the other side, can you take a little bit from account B and put it into account A, which helps balance out. And then they all end up balancing their books. Basically, um, some do it multiple times during the day. Some just do it, you know, half a day. Some do it at the end of the day. And so that's why you sometimes you see. Um, different uh, clearing times for for certain regions and things like that. They're all shifting towards instant settlement and things like that. So Swift Swift is evolving and, and and adapting as as they can as well. But I think that's how we'll end up seeing it with with, with Bitcoin as well. And that's where the layer two stuff, like Lightning, plays an important role because Lightning will take care of these tiny microtransactions. You know, ten cent or ten penny or whatever. You know. Um, uh, transactions or, or pound or dollar transactions or these small tiny fractional transactions with next to zero fees uh, involved with that but then the actual balancing of the books so to speak in terms of bitcoin and, and whole bitcoin or whatever it might be you know maybe takes place at lunchtime and at the, at the end of the day so that you end up with a similar sort of system that we have now in the in the current financial system but it's not it's not run by these basically fee gouging full of friction centralized uh financial gatekeepers uh, it's run by a network where there is no headquarters there is no um you know office there is no ceo um they're all basically just free in the wild <laughs> doing doing their thing and being built on so i think you're right i think we're we're really at that point it's like you can send a small amount of bitcoin but when it gets chewed up by network fees because of the the you know fiat value effectively of it or just because of the the speed and and, and which is required and, and the, the power that's required to move it from place to place interestingly we're seeing it on, on in ethereum as well is that it is not really serving its purpose at the moment uh for for what it was sort of set out to do in terms of you know being a, an easy, low-cost way to run things like smart contracts and to facilitate transfer of, of, of data and information and, and all of that, uh, and and that it, it again when you when you relate it back to price and to fiat money, is that it's becoming basically a playground for the rich. You know, you can't do easy decentralized swaps uh, for for crypto assets or synthetic stocks or whatever it might be. You can't do that in a cheap and effective way without having to go now back to a centralized uh, exchange to do that so it, it's it's funny how these great uh, it's leaps forward in innovation like something like a decentralized exchange it's like oh how good is this is game changing like yeah it is but now because it's become so popular and so used it's now become uh full of friction and it's become expensive and it's actually now shutting out the people it was supposed to include 
And yeah. so without, without, you know, the facing those problems head on, which, you know, I think the community is doing in that in Bitcoin and Ethereum and other networks. Uh, and then look, that's the thing is that that breeds competition for other blockchain, um, other blockchains and, and other decentralized networks to, to step up and say, well, you know, we can do it in a different and a better way. And maybe we can connect or bridge across and, and, you know, we can all work together. Maybe it's a, you know, a little bit utopian in, in, in thinking, but that's, you've got to have these problems and you've got to have these failures and you've got to have these issues uh, arise. Otherwise you don't know they exist. Um, but then you obviously need to have them fixed like lightning you know, the UX, the user experience on lightning is, is pretty shit. Um, but it's going to get better. It's going to be a one-click kind of thing. It's going to be a tap-and-go style technology, but it just takes a bit of time to get there. Hmm. I mean, I, I don't think the UX, my experience with Lightning, uh, when, I, when I've used it before, I don't think it's too bad. Um, my, you know, it, it has been limited ultimately to using the Zap wallet. Could, you, um, could your dad use it without your help? Yeah, right. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah. For, that's, that's where we need to be. Ultimately, yeah. I mean, you're right. You're right. Um, I don't, it's not, it, it doesn't feel as bad as, uh, you know, say it was early days for Bitcoin, right? That, I, and I mean, yeah, yeah right. That, that's, that's kind of what I mean when I say it's not that bad. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got, it's got a ways to go. But I, you know, I do feel like Lightning is the most, well, not the most, but it's very it unheralded. Is, yeah, that's the thing. Nobody, when anybody is talking, any of the journos and any of the large investors and stuff, yeah. they never talk about Lightning as this is a really, really cool thing. And this is one of the big reasons why we think Bitcoin's going to do well in the future, which I find really interesting because to me, Lightning is kind of Bitcoin's biggest hope is if Lightning actually succeeds and you start getting people running Lightning nodes, this is actually where we will see the next, uh, you know, this is where Bitcoin can really realize some of its promise when it comes to uh, becoming, you know, digital cash to some degree. Um, because in, in Lightning, you know, it's instant. It is, uh, you know, when I've used it, uh, and, and yeah, I've used it in, it, is you know, <laughs> it really is instant. You can, you can send, it's like you can't describe something faster than that. It's, it's instant. <laughs> And it, but it, and what, what makes it so crazy is the fact that you know, it it could be a tiny amount of money. Yeah, you yeah. could you you know a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a penny, you could send to anybody on the other side of the world instantly through this thing. I think wasn't it uh, plugged? In, there was a, wasn't there an extension that was plugged into Twitter at some point? I think I started using that at some point where you could make tiny little micropayments through Twitter using a Lightning Network browser extension. Oh, I hadn't heard of that, but no, that like that. I don't think it, I'm yet. not sure it works anymore. Perfect. But that's how I started using it, right? Because then that that throws the whole all the issues with subscription models on the head. Because uh, yep. you know at that point, you know you could if if we if you got broad adoption of that, then you could pay you know twenty p for reading an article. You know, like pay half a pence for reading an article for different places. You could, um, I mean, you could, if you were an employer, you could pay people per hour. They would actually receive money in their, you know, in their account, in their wallet for every hour, every minute they worked minute, yeah. with you. They wouldn't have to yeah. wait, every, wait every month in the UK or wait every two weeks in the States. You know, you could actually get paid, you know, for every single minute you were, you know, you were being employed, which, uh, you know, is, I think is a great, is a great idea. But Sam, uh, I do realize we are getting slightly off track here. We should rate our current beers before we proceed to the next one. What would you, how would you rate 
uh, your Australian beer? Well, I have moved on to the next one, but I will. I, I can remember just uh, how how the other one was. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know what? It it um it was unremarkable, unfortunately. Uh, it was a little bit. I mean, it, it says drink it from the can. I usually prefer to drink mine not from the can. I think sometimes they can get a little bit tinny sometimes drinking from the tan from the can. Um, oh, yeah, it wasn't. I, I, I'd forget it pretty quick. It, there wasn't a distinct flavor profile to it. Um, it tasted a bit like a weak um, juice box um, in, a, in a strange way almost like a cordial or squash as I think is, is referred to over here. Um, oh, look at best. I'd, I'd probably just give, I'd probably have to give this actually just an, just an A. I mean, it was still good. It was still nice to drink and easy to drink and it was 6%. So it was a fair whack. Um, so, you know, it kind of didn't touch the sides, but it's just unremarkable really. So mm. an A, an A for me. Damn man. I mean, that's gotta be one of the, uh, one of the lower scores from you in recent weeks. You've always been quite optimistic when it comes to when it comes to the beers recently. Yeah. Um, on my own side, I am again. My first drink was the Aventinus uh, Doppelbock by Schneider Weisser. Uh, I have had this an awful lot recently. Uh, it's been my main form of sustenance during the day, and you know, <laughs> it really does wear on you after you've had it for a while. <laughs> this is. You know, Doppelbock was not my favorite kind of beer from the get-go, uh, but, you know, it really isn't now. And uh, <laughs> I would probably, I'm uh, being generous, I would give this a double A. I would give this a double A. You know, 8.2% does sit in the stomach to some degree, but, uh, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's not great. Um, the second beer I'm on now, which I believe you're on as well, Sam, yep. Uh, is Overtone, Weapons of Mass Consumption, yeah. which uh, 5% is a 440ml can, red and blue label. Uh, what do you make of this? This is a hazy IPA. Yeah, well, I mean, hazy is absolutely the right description for it. It's got that wonderful, almost kind of light custody look about it, um, albeit it's not, not thick like that. Uh, so far, it's actually pretty good, to be honest with you. Um, I, I kind of like the slightly slightly weaker uh, ABV on it. Still, you know, 5% is still a decent whack. Um, but yeah, uh, so far, so good. Um, not picking up any really massively distinct flavor profiles out of it, but um, weapons of mass consumption. I mean, doesn't that just absolutely describe the world that we live in today <laughs> yeah you could say that i was looking at a chart actually of electricity consumption ranked through the world uh, and of course america comes out massively on top you know per capita america those americans love using that electricity right Hot but dogs, they do. <laughs> yeah but i was surprised to see that france beats the uk really? what the hell's going on with that don't they have like a bunch of nuclear reactors and stuff too that gives them like cheap, abundant, clean energy? But why are they consuming more? I mean, maybe it just, maybe like croissant machines take like a lot of energy. I, I don't, I'm, I'm quite shocked by it. I mean, what's the French population size? It's not as big as the UK, is it? Uh, hmm. <laughs> You're probably asking the wrong guy for uh, for that. I would imagine that the French population is higher than the UK. I don't know. Uh, 
though I could be incorrect about that. Do a quick Google um, search on this. Uh, actually, you know what? It's 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 ri ridiculously similar. France is 67 million people. And this is at, as of 2019. Uh, France, 67 million. UK, 66.65. So realistically, if you were thinking about, you know, a, a per capita uh, consumption, to see, to see France really high up there uh, is very surprising, actually. Yeah, it does make you wonder. It does make you wonder about that. I mean, they've got so much space. They've got so much land as well, right? I mean, you you would think that they would be. I mean, I'm sure they're they're, they're already you know looking at, at renewable energies and solar farms and things like that. But I mean, it's still the like I say. I'm sure they've got you know nuclear reactors. They've certainly got the coastline uh, to do that sort of thing. Uh, they you know with no great risk of things like tsunamis or earthquakes. They've got plenty of land for solar farms. They've got certain, you know, some areas up north that are nothing but literally but wind farms. Um, you know, it's, yeah, they, I, would, I would think the energy consumption from the French, that's, that's, that's taken me aback a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it was quite a, it was quite a chart that. Um, we, can maybe, we can maybe share it in the, uh, when, when we post this on Twitter. Uh, the main, I think the main purpose of the chart ultimately was where you look at global electricity per capita, uh, and the sort of the while it's incredible to see just how far above America is the average global electric. You know, <laughs> when it comes to uh, electrical emissions, when it comes when it comes to the average, uh, China has since you know has massively, you know, very suddenly, abruptly, uh, you know, managed to get above uh, that that global average. Yeah. Um, as a, in its in its modernization drive, India as well has a has a very interesting sort of uh, trajectory on that. Uh, but yeah, it does make things of France. I you know I wonder how much of that is driven by inefficiencies to some degree, which has created that. But ultimately, I I don't know. It wasn't interesting. It wasn't interesting chart. But Sam, there was one thing I would like to return to uh, before we do close for this podcast because we are getting on a, a little bit for time. It was when you were. Re Speaking of earlier, when it comes to Ethereum gas fees and everything, you know, so yeah. you get the you know it's the gentrification of the crypto <laughs> asset world where yeah. fees are becoming really high to the point where you describe it, you know, as a playground for the rich. You can only really play and uh, you know pull you. Know, you can do incredible things in this digital space where you can move capital really, really fast. Uh, but it's gone to the point today where the networks are seeing so much traffic that the people who can really move things fast are really the people who have a lot of money who can actually mm. take that hit to the face when it comes to the fees yep. uh, when it comes to moving capital around that they can move capital around fast and for the little guys like wow what you know you're wanting a 10 percent fee to just yeah. move this here to there and now we see this interesting rise of Binance Smart Chain, BSC, mm. and the Binance token in general, where it's gone to the point where, you know, uh, I haven't checked the, the stats recently, but we're looking at top three market cap. Yes, market cap is flawed. But just as a, as a rule of thumb, mm. um, you know, Binance token is now, you know, the, the third largest crypto, right? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> There's so many things that you could talk about with this. Um, the idea of Binance Smart Chain is interesting in terms of 
I, I, it's, it's not really that decentralized like Ethereum is or Bitcoin is. That's not to say that it might not be. That's not to say that it could end up being a, a competitor to, uh, to something like Ethereum. Um, but the, my initial feeling is, is that it is really mainly just built. It's almost like Binance is building its own crypto ecosystem within the wider crypto ecosystem and that it's sort of trying to create a, a walled garden effectively just for anybody that wants to exist within the Binance world. Um, it almost, it almost feels like what they're sort of trying to do is a sort of sexed up version of, of XRP. Um, but, but bringing all the great fad things and hype things into it, like IEOs or IDOs or, um, you know, DeFi on the Binance smart chain. I mean, the greatest example of that is, is, is pancake swap, which is basically Uniswap on the Binance smart chain. Um, and then all the other shit coins that can be traded on pancake swap and pancake swap alone is now worth something like 2 billion or 3 billion in terms of market cap or some stupid number like that. Um, but it's, it's cheaper. <laughs> and so because it's cheaper than Ethereum and you can still trade uh, shit coins on it, uh, then it's going to get people using it. And it's because it's so been able to so rapidly advance because of the backing and resources that Binance has because of the sheer weight of, of volume that they do on their exchange and, and the resources they've got there. Uh, it's been able to, to be a legitimate alternative to something like Ethereum. Um, but, you know, last I checked, it's, you know, it's not exactly like you can go and buy Binance coin on Coinbase and like flick it to flick it to somebody in America or you know the Australia or whatever with the same sort of um, freedom that you can with with a network like Ethereum or Bitcoin. It's it's hard. I, I get the feeling that it's just run up literally because Ethereum and Uniswap um, have become so dominant but so expensive and so difficult now to use that people just really jumped onto it because it was a Binance B cheaper and probably C cause it wasn't Ethereum uh, and they just wanted something else that was maybe going to moon. Uh, and that's kind of exactly what it is. That sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, I suppose. Yeah. This compromise where it's about just, Actually, sorry, just, just why you said compromise. Okay. I think that's, that's a word that we really need to think about when we talk about things like Binance Smart Chain or yeah. any other competitors, because ultimately, us ultimately really aside from Bitcoin, maybe Ethereum to a certain degree, everything is making a compromise at some point along the way, whether it's a compromise on security, a compromise on decentralization or a compromise on fees. There's, there's usually, except for Bitcoin really, uh, there's everything is a compromise around the idea of a truly decentralized network. Exactly, Sam. Exactly. Like that is that is why I brought this up because that what that's what this feels like. The whole yeah. adoption of BSC is ultimately this. Well, I want to trade these random newly created tokens. I want to try out this new technology, but it doesn't need to be in its purest form. I just want to do it. 
you know, that's why I'm going to go for Binance, uh, the BSC, and I'm going to trade BNB. And I think that, you know, that argument where it's, you have where you ultimately forfeiting something yeah um and how bitcoin is the one that isn't compromising it only makes me think it only makes me sort of value the original bitcoin proposition more Mm. um and you know in a way it makes me wonder about the ethereum classic guys as well because they you know those guys were the ones who didn't want to compromise originally when ethereum made an error and they wanted to wind back time to the time when they didn't make the error and patch it up. And Ethereum Classic said, no, we're going we're gonna to accept the error and carry on and carry on with it. I mean, I've not looked at Ethereum Classic recently. Uh, is that like, have you, have you checked up on that? I mean, what are the, the other many Ethereum Classic developers? See, I've, it, 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 I know it's always sort of hung around the top uh, 100, again, in terms of sort of market cap. Um, but it's, it, it doesn't seem to have ever really continued to, to, to catch fire in the way that Ethereum has, which mm. is interesting because you're right. It, 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 to be honest, it, it really is the true Ethereum chain. If we want to talk about, you know, the whole point of these networks is to not wind back time. Uh, and, 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 and the failures that we saw in the finan- traditional financial system about, you know, having to bail out, uh, banks and all those sorts of things, which which really at the time should have been let fail. Uh, in fact, you know, a, a, a truly free and efficient market lets those things fail uh, because it, it, it does recover from those. Um, and Ethereum Classic did exactly that. And so you're right. I wonder long term. But the other thing is as well as right is, is you can't make progress if no one's pushing it forward. Yeah. And so then it comes back to the idea of what really does push these networks forward. And, and, and clearly, I think at the moment uh, is that people are happy to make those compromises uh, sheerly because they want to be able to turn a quick, fast, big profit and see mooning values that they can cash in and cash out of. I think really at the moment, even now is that when you talk, when we talk about adoption, people are not doing this with the view of decoupling from the traditional financial system. They want to get enough to buy a fancy car and a house and a Rolex. And then that's it. They won't, they'll be, they'll fucking wipe their hands with crypto and never see it again. And they won't care. And so we, there's a lot of that that's going to continue for some time. But I think that it's a it's a snowball effect is that eventually it will get to a point where people will realize that the financial system is so fucked up and, and will continue to do what it's doing now that they're really only shooting themselves in the foot by looking to get in and then back out with, you know, quick big buck profits out of out of this. Yeah, that is, that is the feeling I get as well. I do wonder how much of the broader crypto ecosystem is being fueled by that. It's, you know, purely speculative. Uh, I think I can buy a new house and a car out of this because yeah. you know there were all these news stories about it in 2017, et cetera, et cetera. You do wonder how much of this capital is really, in in a way, helpful in driving you know the original idea of the project forward. You know, you think about um, emerging market economies where which have seen sudden capital flight. Uh, you know, the likes of Thailand, for example, in the 90s, 
where you know you know money a load of money was invested hot money was invested and then it was suddenly sucked away and so all of this housing development these hotels and everything you know they just sort of stopped midway through and it was really bad for the country yeah. and makes you think well you know <laughs> you know i'm a free market guy but at the same time if i was if i was in thailand well then i would you know i'd probably be kind of against this kind of abuse almost of our economy where you're letting money in and it's sort of harder you know it creates activity and then suddenly it goes away again um I do wonder if something similar is sort of going on with in the crypto space where hot money goes in and it comes out and it, it doesn't actually achieve anything, doesn't fulfill any meaningful goal. All it does is half develop something and create a lot of new stories and then it leaves again, which is a really sad story. Um, but at the same time, I think Bitcoin itself remains the antidote to all of that sort of. I think so. All, all that sort of frenzy. As it yeah. Were. And, and I think we're really starting to see it now catch a light even more. So seem to be seen that, that people in, in more simple economies, I, I suppose, uh, and places in, in, in economies that are nowhere near as advanced and complex as developed as like we find in the UK or the US. So like, you know, the situation that's developing in Nigeria, for example, um, you know, obviously Venezuela has been something in you know, Argentina and a lot of places like that that are experiencing already starting to experience, you know, significant inflation and controls on, on money uh, are really starting to now understand the power of what Bitcoin can be. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not what you'd call a Bitcoin maximalist. I think the, I think people have got to appreciate the ideas that, that, that some of these altcoins uh, are developing and that could end up being, you know, very substantial and significant um, uh, impact on the world. They're very experimental still, and that's exactly how we need to treat them as, as experimental and ideas effectively, um, you know, they're almost like, you know, science experiments, I suppose. But you, you keep coming back to, well, and we all keep coming back to the point is, is that the, the strength and the solidity uh, that Bitcoin presents because of it's such pure, I suppose, design from the outset and the way it's gone for the last 12 years, you know, you, it's hard to ignore the significance that it's going to play on its own going forward. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see um, how, how the narrative ultimately uh, comes out and how, you know, how much of that narrative is then driven by its price and how much that narrative is driven by, uh, you know, broader, deeper thinking ultimately about yeah. these things. Yeah. Uh, so here we are today. Uh, we've seen a, a nice little, well, I mean, it is effectively a little snapback for Bitcoin. I mean, you know, yeah. going down by 20% is nothing in Bitcoin. There was that yeah. great chart the other day, uh, some posted where it was just the 2017 bull market in Bitcoin. And, you know, you saw, you see these greater than 30% declines all the way through it. It's like and it'll be very, yeah, right. Um, it, it'll be very interesting to see um, whether or not Bitcoin, this is, if Bitcoin's got become uh, something of a, you know, a forward indicator for tech stocks, ultimately, uh, as we were, our, as we were describing earlier, you know, maybe this is heralding the end of the tech stock market, in which case, you know, it's going to be a bear market for Bitcoin as well, whether or not this is just a, you know, a little blip on the way. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin's going to consolidate here just the same way it did around sort of the $30,000 level. Uh, before it manages to create some massive great big high and then we'll get the the bear market mm. uh, finally for it um you know it's very it's a very interesting time to be around it's 
uh, and it's interesting, I think, the manner in which Bitcoin is now becoming more important for people who are invested in the tech stock story in general, because Bitcoin has this forward indicator effect. Um, because, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, interest rates have been rising to a large degree. And, um, you know, not when, if you just look at the actual nominal yield, it's not very much at all. But the amount of debt that's been added uh, over the of the lockdown period by the likes of the US and the UK and Western governments in general is huge. Adding a lot of interest expense to that, uh, you know, making that debt heavier ultimately is something that should be bad, you would think, for risk assets. But yeah. you know, we'll see how it turns out because uh, you know, climbing walls of worry is what uh, bull markets always do. And if everybody's worried about something then it's probably not going to be what creates the bear market. The bear market's always unexpected. It's always something else. But Sam, uh, I think we should probably close it off there for today. What, would you have any closing remarks? No, I mean, look, it's, it, you know, it's a tough time because there, there is some inherent worry in the market when people, you know, people have access to, and, and rightly so, and, and watch their investments every, every minute of every day and, you know, that can be, uh, that can be worrying when you see, you know, 20% of the value of what you thought you had peel off. But uh, perspective is always required. Time in the game is always better than uh, trying to time the game. And uh, I think, you know, these, these sorts of things, when you take the right mindset and you're, you're, you're in these markets for the right reasons, uh, with the right perspective and the right plan of attack, uh, these are just, you know, what's happened to the markets this week in both tech and in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Uh, it's, it's just a, a, a part of the ride, I suppose. So enjoy it while, while you're on it. Yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good, uh, a good way to sum up the show. And uh, on that, Sam, I mean, how would you rate Overtone weapons of mass consumption? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> It hasn't rocked my boat. Um, it was nice. It was it's not pretty bad either, though. Yeah, it's not. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's not bad. It's. I mean, it's just. It's sort of mid mid range. You know, I think maybe it could do with a little bit more punch to it in terms of the alcohol content. Uh, it's, it's a little bit, a little bit bittery, I suppose, for me. Um, but, you know, look, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I think I'd probably give it a B minus, which is still a, a very decent rating. Yeah. Um, yeah, similar to Sam. I mean, this is not um, it's not the right home boat, but at the same time, it's not bad. I mean, it's a fairly mm. decent beer. So, yeah, um, it is. It is from Glasgow, though. And, you know, in Aberdeen, you know, we don't get we don't get on so well with those Glaswegians. <laughs> uh, but I will I will give it the benefit of the doubt, I think. Um, yeah, in this case, I think I think I'd give it a B. I think I'd give it a B in this case. Uh, that that'll be my rating. I think. Very good. All righty. Well, uh, that does end episode thirty-five of Booze, Booms, and Busts. If you'll listen to this, I hope you have a very good weekend and enjoy a few beers of your own. We shall be back with episode thirty-six next week. In the meantime, make sure you have a good one.